This is the Out of Time Film Podcast, where your hosts, Tom and John, discuss everything from blockbuster films to TV and games like there's no tomorrow. Welcome to the Outside Film Podcast. My name is Tom, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host John. Hi. And this week we are talking about Dune Part Two. Oh my god! This film has been hyped like so much promotion has been rolling out since this film has been delayed to March, and here we are. We're in March, and what's so funny about this film's promotion is that we've got the Dune popcorn bucket <laughs> oh yeah uh yeah if anyone has seen that yeah <laughs> there's just lots of memes around it but it's just very funny that, i don't even know. know if that exists here in the uk well we feel, get really crap like popcorn buckets tom we get we don't get <laughs> these type of really good things because when they did spider verse they got popcorn buckets out of masks i'm not joking they mm-hmm. got like miles morales's mask on a popcorn bucket i don't know they just did everything they could do anything they want and i'm like oh great and we get the standard we get the paper bag it's fine. We get the thing that we get in the popcorn, you know, it's like that. But anyway, June part two. Here we are after two years. Two years? Yeah, uh, two, years. two and a half. Two and a half, yes. And oh my God, this has been such an experience to watch in the cinema again. Being in a, such a full cinema was just a pleasant surprise again because, mm. you know, there's Barbie and there's Oppenheimer in August. It's been such an amazing experience to go. So, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I saw this at a midnight showing, so it was a very you strange... <laughs> it was a very strange experience because on one hand, I was like, this is awesome. On the other hand, I was like, is this real? Am I am I alive right now? I was, I was pretty tired, especially by the end. Like, you know, with the final act, I was just there just like, what's going on? Oh my God, but, I don't know what I'm seeing. <laughs> like, there's been a lot of talk about this film being one of the best films of the century. You know, one of the best sequels ever made. And I don't know if I agree with that. But it's pretty damn good. Yeah. Like this, like it's pretty good. Ev- ev- it's everything pretty good. I wanted from a Dune sequel, everything the first film promised and set up, this pretty much ticks all the boxes. Yeah, I think the one uh, thing that I wasn't not being familiar with the source material, the one thing that I wasn't expecting was how much more complex this film was. The first film is very, it has very basic binaries. You have your yeah. good and your evil, and there's not really a whole lot. There are hints of. Deep deeper nuances but yeah. really in this film we get to explore all of that in a really kind of i thought quite surprising way yeah we're not in spoilers yet but it just really wasn't afraid to dig deeper into the world of dune and like okay what elements that we can explore like some really intense elements the film does not shy away from or explore you know paul as a character and he completely changes in the story and the film has so much going on which I was completely hooked all the way through because well in the first part I was completely fine being at slow burner because the film was just building up this world you know there was like an interesting pace in the first one but this the pacing was so good I was just completely locked in the entire time just like watching it you know oh my god this is just taking me somewhere but then the pacing just kind of fell off in the third act where we were gonna have a massive resolution to the story 
but then I was like, oh, oh, okay, I'm back to the real world. Oh, great. The, the pacing was so good. I forgot I was existing in the cinema, but the film was kind of like a reflection to the first one, how Paul was part of Atreides and must become a leader one day. And that's the film when he unites with the Fremen in the story and Richani as well. Yeah, I think basically the two films put together, and I think when you do experience both films back to back, it creates a really full experience. I certainly had the criticism at the time of the first film that it felt a little bit like half a story. It felt like it just kind of ended. And I do feel like while part one works really well on its own, part two makes it better like most good sequels the two together really creates a force to be reckoned with and we'll talk about it a bit more later but part three eventually messiah if it is as good as these two then we have an all-time trilogy on our hands but yeah like it really tracks paul's journey from a boy to a man it's not necessarily a happy journey but we do see the growth of this character getting close to becoming who he was born to be essentially so yeah i thought that was really interesting so full spoilers ahead for anyone who hasn't seen it and i really would recommend seeing it get it on the biggest screen you can chill out for some imax tickets oh um, super screen yeah, if yes. you don't have imax near you but imax yeah it's brilliant absolutely spoilers <clears throat> yes, let's do okay. it. Briefly explain the plot for those who don't know. Paul Atreides unites with Chani and the Fremen while seeking revenge against the conspirators who destroyed his family. Facing a choice between the love of his life and the fate of the universe, he must prevent a terrible future only he can foresee. Mm. Well, very interesting. I think one of the things that is really compelling about this is how it kind of is in dialogue with the future. So in the sense that like the first film is full of these visions and we get a couple of visions in this one too. None of those visions really are what end up happening. We kind of get various glimpses of various things, but we kind of get a whole different way. And it's interesting that you say in that synopsis that he needs to prevent this tyrannical future. But he kind of runs straight into it. He doesn't really avoid it. Yeah, he just like... like, (laughs) I must embrace it now. I must become leader. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's not what I was expecting. I would say that in all the characters in this film, the only character who is morally right is Charney. Other than that, every single character is just wrapped up by power and by prophecy and is basically, especially the good characters, especially, you know, Paul and Jessica, they basically become the very thing that they have feared. And I thought that was very compelling. You know, very you have right. Jessica who she begins and she's one of the Bene Gesserit, but she doesn't really believe in that. She doesn't really, she believes in her love for Paul over that, over the prophecy. She doesn't think that Paul should be perpetuating this prophecy of himself. But then because she drinks the worm blood, because she has these visions and because she starts to speak to her unborn child, she actually leans into that and she becomes the Reverend Mother for the Fremen and begins spreading this gospel of the prophet who is Paul and I thought that was very very interesting I think the whole film is kind of like really in conversation with religion and the idea of blindly following a prophet blindly following a belief there are some really interesting characters like Javier Bardem's character who's called Stauger is that his name yeah Stauger yeah yeah the whole time it's kind of a bit funny anytime Paul does anything he's like "Ah, I told you he's the messiah like Paul like eats like a sandwich and he's like ah the the prophecy for told that the messiah would eat a sandwich and so it's like it's really like he never doubts for a second that paul is the al-gaib is that the name of the um 
Yeah, I think I'm, so. Yeah. I don't know. There's yeah. so many terms in June. I'm getting around to them. I'm learning them. But um, well, at least you got the book. You you have you can. I, I do have the book. book. Oh yeah, the Lisan Al Gaib. Yes. So yeah, so he believes he is the Lisan Al Gaib, and he never wavers with that. But then there's a moment at the end when the other great houses refuse to recognize Paul as the new emperor. And so he says, right, okay, we'll declare war on them. Stalgo, get your people ready and send them to war. And you kind of get this look on Stalgo's face where he's like, oh, this is what I've done. In believing in this prophecy so blindly, believing in this person who I thought would free us, we've just become slaves to something else. And that's really, really compelling to kind of put these characters into the morally grey. Paul, as well, is somebody who at the beginning is like, I'm not a prophet, I'm just a guy, I just want to help save, I want to get revenge for what the Harkonnens did, I want to help Fremens be free. But at the end, he uses the prophecy for his own benefit, so he can become the emperor, so he can get this power, and so also he can have the faith in people. He he really exploits them, and that is just fascinating. Yeah, that is a whole shift in characterization for Paul from the very beginning of the film. He does not want to become leader. You can definitely see that. And it completely changes when Paul drinks the water of life or the worm's blood. And essentially, he can see possible futures or something that he can control, and you use it like that future or that prophecy as a benefit to, you know, take over the universe. And that's where Doom Messiah goes into, really, which I'm not going to spoil, but he goes into a lot about profit and do we worship leaders in that story, in that sense. And that's what Paul goes into, into the story. It is completely different. He's like, no, I don't want to be leader. And then when he takes that speech, when the leaders come around in the story to talk about what's going to happen in the North, he's like completely taking it over. He tells everybody that I'm him, essentially, like he's saying, oh you must be afraid of me you know of this prophet you know this prophecy that i'm going to take over and with charney i think she just serves a grand purpose in the story she as you said she is the right moral character who really loves paul but paul just gets into this world of prophecy and he just completely just gets corrupted by it and he will just take this advantage with everybody and that is a very terrifying thing for the very end of the movie and charney just gets on the worm so it's like, okay, where is Jumasai going to take us? Yeah, I mean, Chani is truly the only one who puts her faith into Paul for the right reasons. She puts yeah. her faith into him because he shows her that he can be trusted. She doesn't believe him immediately, and he has to prove that to her. And so she does follow him into battle. But at that point, she is wavering because, you know, she literally says, this prophecy was meant to enslave us. And she's the only one who really gets that. I think everyone else really falls in line behind. I mean, there's an amazing shot where Paul is walking through a crowd of Fremen who are in a really densely packed space and are all parting for him. And the shot is like overhead. It's a bird's eye view. And we just kind of see thousands of heads with Paul kind of moving through the middle. And you just see this impact that he's had on this people that kind of desperately want this thing to be true because it means that they can be free and have their planet back. And yeah, I yeah. think since Zoda Zendaya got so little to do in the first film. Oh, yeah, in five um, minutes, yeah. Yeah, which I do not criticize at all. You know, I think that is absolutely what that story needed. And I think the marketing was a real issue there. But in this film, she's all over it and she's brilliant. Yeah. She really is a fantastic, especially in the third act. 
act, there is a particular moment where Paul has come out victorious and she just looks at him with such betrayal, but also an understanding of like, yeah, how could I, how could I not have known that you were going to be like this? And I think stuff like that is really brilliant because yeah. it just adds so many layers. And as you say, the final shot is of Chani about to get on that worm and the realization and the hatred that she now carries. And, you know, that speaks volumes for, you know, the potential future for this character. Yeah. She just feels emotionally betrayed. That is like devastating, you know, for the end of the film. You know, she's been with Paul this entire journey and it's a great way to close off the film. You know, like she kind of symbolizes us as the audience. We're trying to, you know, experience the world of June, you know, with Paul, but Paul completely changes and we're like what the heck what is paul cooking what is he doing so it is absolutely brilliant what they did with chani yeah and i think that that all really works well alongside the villainous characters as well oh um, yeah every single character is extremely layered here obviously we have the introduction of florence Pugh and christopher walken as the emperor's daughter and the emperor who you know they're not in it a whole lot but what we do get from them is still really interesting like you get to see where the seat of power is in this galaxy what does that planet look like what do the people in it look like you know like what are their expectations of this place and i thought that was very interesting it really is just christopher walken in space um, and <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't anything like you know you can really expect him to kind of start saying classic christopher walken things but it was really interesting to see what that looks like what what does the emperor you know we've seen baron harkonnen and so like what does the true seat of power but i thought what was really interesting was how we explore the harkonnens as well we go onto their planet we see Dave Batista's character, Raban, and he is just so angry. He thinks the Fremen are rats and he just wants them all gone. But also, he's like really insecure and he gets um, angry, you know. Yeah, he gets angry. Yeah, and, and he's really kind of, you know, at the whim of the Baron. But also, he's terrified. As soon as he sees the Lasan al Gaib, what he thinks is that he runs away immediately. And I thought that was very interesting. And then we get Fade Ratha, Austin Butler, who is, I heard things before the film saying that he was one of like the best villain performances ever people were comparing it to Heath Ledger's Joker or Javier Bardem's Anton Chigurh I don't think it's that good but yeah, I think it was pretty I, I think it's not on that level but it was still a pretty great performance yeah it's a pretty um, good performance, as the villain yeah I agree because when I heard that I was like oh that's interesting but when I got into it I thought he was just a good villain like nothing really three-dimensional he is pretty terrifying, but what I found super cool for Harkonnen's planet was that it's in completely in black and white, like mm. the black sun, and it just really was so mesmerizing to watch, and they had this gladiator battle type thing for Fade Ratha, and the cool thing was that all of the three fighters were supposed to be drugged against us and this character, but one of them isn't drugged, and they had this battle, and Fade Ratha really wants to have the battle of his life and Baron he's like yes I must give my nephew a good birthday or something it's crazy <laughs> but with, with the Baron in the story this is a big criticism he just has a very underwhelming death he just doesn't really have a final say for the story because he was a big conspirator against the Atreides but the Baron doesn't really have anything to say and it just felt like oh is there like no close off to the character you know who the Baron who he actually is and you know what he's like uh, but no it's just like okay gonna stab you in the back that's it yeah the, the baron is really set up as like this big bad character in the first one they really kind of emphasize you know that moment where he rises up and he's like my desert 
my Arrakis, my June. Like you really feel that he is this June. presence and that like he is powerful. And you do see that throughout this film, but a lot of it kind of is like, no, no, he's not the real power. The real power is the emperor and the real power is actually Paul. You know, like the power is constantly balancing to different ways. And I agree. I do think there is definitely a level of underwhelmingness about the fact that that character just kind of comes and goes so easily. And I want to kind of go back to what you were saying about the Harkonnen planet. I really, really love that atmosphere and the way that when they're inside, there's a little bit more color and there's, but there's less color outside because of that sun. And, you know, Fade Ratha is terrifying in that. In that gladiator sequence, then I was like, oh my God, this guy genuinely could be one of the all-time cinematic villains. Terrifying. The kind of black mouth, the way that he has this bloodthirsty expressions and he is so drunk with the power that he has and the skill, you know, like that was really, really terrifying. It doesn't necessarily carry for the rest of the film, but I, yeah, but I do think that that was utterly brilliant. Um, and as well at the end, that whole gladiator scene is so well built because you see how much of a physical threat he is. So when he's dueling Paul at the end, you really do wonder, is Paul going to make it out? And I mean, like, obviously he will make it out, but like there is that tension and there are those stakes that come from that moment. But what I found interesting about just the entire film was the different planets. We get three planets in this film and we have another one in the first one. We've got Arrakis, we've got the Empress planet, the Atreides planet and the Harkonnen planet. I don't know names. I'm sorry, this, this isn't Star Wars. I'm not as well versed. <laughs> but um, we get those planets and the warmest, both figuratively and, and literally, is Arrakis. What we see with the Fremen, we get the most sense of camaraderie and of culture and of happiness and of warmth. You really feel like you're part of it and you really feel like these people are good and, you know, have things they believe in. In all the other planets, there isn't any of that. The Empress planet, it almost looks too pretty. It feels a little bit fake because of how nice everything is, because of how posh it all is, I guess. You know, like, it's all, like, very grand, and obviously it's come from, like, a rich family. But there's nothing to that. There's no soul to it. And I feel like that's very much the point. The same in the Harkonnen planet. It's literally black and white. There's no, there's no colour to it, and there is no feeling of character to anything. And that yeah. kind of speaks volumes to the worth of the Fremen. Like, I think there's a lot of inspiration taken from Muslim culture in the presentation of the Fremen. And I think that it's really interesting to see that... Especially when you think about Hollywood and the discourse surrounding Muslim representation, so commonly do we get films, especially post 9-11, films that are set in the Middle East that will depict conflicts and depict Islam as at the centre of that. And it all spins into the war on terror and stuff like that. But here I thought it was very interesting to see a group of people that are Muslim presenting that are unequivocally good and are the beating heart of this film. They are the the centre of it. It's certainly not any of the other planets. It's certainly not any of those other characters. You know, as I say, Chani is like the centre of this film emotionally. Mm. And yeah, I do. F I thought that was really, really interesting and really, you know, like it wasn't where I expected it to go considering how the first film is so focused on the Atreides. Whereas this one, it's really interesting how they decide to spin that a bit. Yeah. And the other thing was that going back to the film the film had so much going on which i was really happy with but the other thing is like there will be plot twists that will hit you and you will not realize in a bit so like one of the plot twists was that lady jessica was actually a harkening yeah like, in some way my mind was like completely lost in the film 
and it's like the amazing moments in the film that happened so far with the black and white Harkins planet and mm. Paul trying to ride on the massive worm like oh the yeah grandfather worm it, like if you heard that in super screen and imax that was super cool i was like oh my god this is incredible you feel the bass you feel like everything that is just you're literally there but yeah lady jessica is a harkening she's the baron's daughter and that completely blew my mind after when i was thinking about the film i was like oh my god yeah this happened as well that was an interesting concept to explore as well like paul was actually fighting against his other bloodline as well like with the harkening but then he's got his own group of people to lead with so it's like really conflicting for paul to see how does he become leader it's really interesting how they went through that and not like a, the Empire Strikes Back. It's like kind of crazy what they did with that whole thing with the <laughs> yes. story. Yeah, and expanding upon like what you said about like the Islamic culture, you know, in the story, you know, how it explores that. You can really see that they are trying to live a life and the Emperor and the Harkins, they are just trying to take over the planet with the, with the spice that is really precious. So that is something that I haven't really thought about, but yeah, good point bringing that up. Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest issue with both of these films, part one and two, is structural. I think that, that yes. there's a moment when this film cuts to the Harkonnen planet and we get maybe 20, 30 minutes away from Paul. And it kind of feels like the film is going from a steady pace to a bit of a crawl. It does slow down. And I feel like similar to the first film, as you said earlier. But at the same time, these are both incredible films. I mean, I feel like we talked about it quite a bit last week, but not as much this week. But this film looks immaculate. Greg Fraser's cinematography is really beautiful beautiful so much of it is shot on location with natural light and it works fantastically most of the time uh, i will say that sometimes the lighting it doesn't necessarily favor the non-white actors which is an ongoing issue in many films and i do think that the choice to use natural light was uh, sometimes a, a, a bit of a disadvantage there but it does it does look incredible and the music hans zimmer takes the music to the next level and the entire all the sound design really and everything and what i want to know john is do you prefer part one or part two because i've been wrestling with this and i really can't decide i want to say part one because part one I, really hooked yeah me yeah I, th I think i agree with part one especially on rewatch and I, i'm curious to see how this film will change based and, on passage of time yeah and the other thing was that when i said about the film's pacing it is really good but then it falls off when this is when the film completely just like loses touch and be like okay this is kind of a weird pacing right now when they have a massive battle that is super cool by the way mm. like the concept of that so amazing to see that in super screen but the film's promotions was like it's going to be an all-out scale war you know like it's going to be crazy you know like with the worms and stuff but it only happens for a couple of minutes i don't yeah. think it felt like a couple of minutes i mean if anything it, like the one of the final lines is now the holy war begins or something like that like we haven't even got to the war yet that's that's next yeah. time that's next time so it is crazy because the film had an amazing characterization you know we are looking at paul's journey and the other planets and it's so amazing but the film was building up to a battle that only lasted for like five minutes and then the emperor was like okay send you your best champion which is fade vata but that whole fight that was so intense but that was only my biggest criticism because i was like really hooked in for the entire film but then the battle only lasts for like five minutes and it's like mm. oh 
okay, we could have expanded upon that. Like we could have seen Chani, you said she's a moral compass in the film and really express why war is not the best option. It's not the yeah. best option at all. It's like, yeah, I, f- I feel like we are getting to that. Unlike a lot of trilogies, this really has pulled its punches and is really setting up part three to be the one that, you know, explores all that. I mean, I guess we will see. Before we finish up, I do have an email here from Samuel Masson hey. who says, Hello there. Hopefully you've both loved Dune 2. I'm away this weekend and unfortunately won't be able to see it by the time this episode is out. But I've got a few questions for you anyway. Having seen the film, what do you want to see from the third installment? What plot lines need to be carried on? What characters would you like to see further developed? What actors slash actresses would you like to see in the universe? And a final question. What Dune house or faction could you see yourselves fitting into? Thanks for the pod and hard work, gents. Take care, Sam. Thank you very okay. much, Sam. And that's a lot of questions there. I think we kind of already touched on part three. I think, you know, we kind of want it to be this kind of holy war, you know, kind of show like all the factions and how that expands out. But I also want it to continue this descent of Paul's character. I think that'd be very interesting. Yes. And to see where the role of leadership takes him to. Because mm. I just think it's going to be good from the look of things. Because he's like no, yeah. completely corrupted. So, it looks like it's going to be a bit of a tragedy, really. It's going to be leading towards that in Doom Messiah. So hopefully Villeneuve gets that box office uh, for Doom yes. uh, Messiah. Cause... I think he will, because the film is already tracking to do a lot better than it was supposed to. It's good. It might even hit that 200 million. So... Yeah, which is going it's, to... It's, it's, it's easily going to be the biggest film of the year so far. I hope we see all the characters again. Yeah. Um, and I don't really have any kind of like hopes for who could be added, but I would like to see more of the Emperor and his daughter... Christopher Walken and Florence Pugh. We have kind of downsized a little bit because, you know, we don't have the Baron and Rabad and Fade Ratha. They're all gone now. So, like, maybe we're going to move away from the Harkonnens. I don't know. But, the, like, yeah, this this next one it has a lot to do. So, yeah, uh, yeah f- final final question. What Juno House faction do you think you'd be part of? Honestly, I want to say the Atreides. That's okay. what I can think of. I don't know. That is yeah, a... no, I would probably agree. It seems like they are the most honourable of all the great houses. I'd quite like to be a Fremen, really, but I think I'd, I, th- I, I genuinely think I wouldn't survive. <laughs> I don't I think, think I would have survived as well. I couldn't do the worm yeah. walk. I couldn't. I couldn't ride a worm. My God, like no, I would. My I'd, I'd God, die the so balls quickly. to have to do that. The balls to do that. <laughs> I, be, I know <laughs> for real. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, so okay, we, we we only have we have less than a minute left. So let's wrap it. Uh, what are you going to give June Part Two out of ten? An eight out of ten. Brilliant. I'm gonna give it a nine. Thank you everybody for watching. If you like if you liked it and you're listening on YouTube, you can subscribe and like if you want to see more. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can follow and give us a five-star review if you think we're worthy. And next week we will be doing Bottoms, which is a film from you know way back in oh my I did, god i don't even know when it came out in the uk but even longer in the us we haven't we finally get, got to cover it and so we're going to be doing that and i'm really excited to talk about that and you can send us an yes. email last time let us know your thoughts on bottoms ask us any questions and i'll answer it right here on the podcast next week and yes you can follow us on instagram at after time film pod to see our incredible thumbnails from zane as well on twitter for more thoughts from tom and tiktok to see edited clips which are also on instagram reels and youtube shorts and you can find links to that all in the description below. Thanks to L. James Mayer for the excellent theme and Ronan Phillips for focus as always. And I think that is everything. Take what you're given. Give nothing back. Goodbye. Goodbye.